both looking very tense. We're fine, honest. Nothing to see here, ladies. Come on, come on. You're being uncharacteristically shy, Ryan. Anyone might think you're trying to hide something. I'm just surprised to know that you seem to know me whereabouts, mate. Are you keeping tabs on me or what? Should I be? Right, this is just getting weird now. If you're accusing me of something, why don't you just come out and say it? Or you could do the decent thing and admit to what you've been up to. I can't sit here any longer watching you two and your willy-swinging contest. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 278 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that managed to move across an ocean quicker than Ryan has been able to move out of racist Kelly's flat. I'm Gavin. And I'll be there for you when, when the rain starts to fall. Too soon. And I'll be there for you. <laughs> like please, I've been there before. Stop. Please stop. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Now, you may joke about this. I'm, I'm, all, as, I'm not really you, joking. As you sniff deeply in the microphone, which I will then later need to edit out. No, because it's implying but, that I'm crying. Uh, that one doesn't. No. Um, really affected by Matthew Perry passing away. I think everybody of our generation has. Could we be any more Gen X? <laughs> you see what I did there? I did see what you did there. I'm feeling better. Uh-huh. You are. Just... Just to get it out there. Right, yes. I'm feeling better. I was You're a not brave... dying in a hot tub anytime soon. <laughs> I was a brave little soldier last week. Oh, God. I thought you were dying. Yeah. It was it was almost as bad as that time you had COVID. There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it was quite as bad as the first time, but it just comes over you so rapidly. Like, one minute, you just kind of don't feel 100%, mm-hmm. and then... Half an hour later, you're just like, I said to you, I'm going to go to my bed and I don't think I'm going to get up tomorrow. And you didn't. And I didn't. And I didn't get up on Sunday either. You got up a little bit more on Sunday. You were go- you were, you were on the road sort of to recovery. But Saturday, what I took Steli to bowling. I took Steli to an estate sale. Steli and I came home. Two other children were dropped off at our house and we all went to Five Nights at Freddy's and... You did not make a peep nope. the whole time. I was I was quite concerned that you would die while I was at Five Nights at Freddy's. I didn't and fucking stop you going though. <laughs> and well, I I really kind of wanted to keep the kids out of the house while you were sick. You know what I'm saying? Well, well done. No, but seriously. No, I I don't know if I, I heard you guys go, but I kind of woke up and the house was empty. I came down for some orange juice and water and I was kind of hungry and needed to make myself something to eat and didn't have the energy so just broke off a chunk of cheese, ate that over the sink and then went back to my bed. It was pitiful. Pitiful. You didn't even put that chunk of cheese between, you know, two pieces of bread? Nope. No, I did not. (laughs) Oh, my poor darling. Anyway. Anyway, you're, you're alive now. (laughs) <laughs> anyway yes it was a it was a wee shame about matthew perry it i really ended was. up in my 
dead in stupor watching quite a lot of seasons eight, nine, and ten uh-huh. of Friends. It's really good. Yeah, it is really good. Yep, yep. I've I've watched it so often that I kind of forget how funny it is. Yeah, it was laugh out loud funny. It's funny, and the, you know, apart from the lack of black people in New York, it is. It's pretty much the perfect show, and I think an awful lot of that is down to one Matthew Perry. He was the best one. What? I don't want to He's speak the best of one. I think, I think Ross is really funny as well, though. <laughs> yes, but everybody hates Ross. And I think, I think Phoebe's really good. Mm-hmm. It becomes clearer the the more you get into it that Phoebe really is the, the the later the season, the more she's trying to distance herself from everyone else. Right. Yes. She seems to hate everyone. Yeah, and she's but, a tragic figure. You know, she's this character in a comedy who grew up homeless and estranged from her her mother who dies. Her mother who kills herself. Right. And I think her pimp killed herself as well, or a pimp that was looking after her killed himself. She's surrounded by tragedy. She's right, a yes. Shakespearean character. Yes, absolutely. And here she is with with people who complain about daddy not paying the bill last week. And, you know, Ross... My muffin! My muffin! And and Ross and Monica, who have two really supportive parents who are okay with her living in her grandmother's rent-controlled flat, you know, as opposed to selling it and making a lot of money. They're like, no, 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 you live there. It's fine. Hmm. It's worth millions of dollars, but (laughs) it's okay. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Could we get any more of that Corey news? There will be no British Soap Awards in 2024, despite a strong showing in 2023 and a scheduled return in 2025, for some reason. Not a single article I read about this could sufficiently explain why they're taking a year off despite the show doing really well in 2023. It is very strange that it's... Taking one year off. And doesn't say why. And doesn't say why. And it seems to keep on quoting the Philip Schofield affair. Right, but that them. shouldn't have anything, anything to do no, I don't see with why, it at this why point. one presenter has. Right. Are they worried that the next person, they that it takes over a year to vet someone? Might not be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if it if it did a bad job... In 2023, if nobody watched the British Soap Awards in 2023, I would understand it better as well. But everybody was watching in 2023. And I think I think the bump in viewership kind of had something to do with the whole Schofield thing. I think people were like, ooh, are they going to... Because they had, uh, what's her name? Jane McDonald do it. Like, ooh, is she going to mess up? Because she was just picked at the last minute. And yeah, that was maybe sort of slowly drive past a car crash kind of thing about it but it was fine it was a fine right. show it was fine it was good it was good anyway moving on courtney boobs has left the building yay and the country <laughs> she's left the building and the country we didn't we didn't disapprove of her that much did we well i i don't think that would have any bearing considering that she is now here in the united states of america oh no she doesn't know where we live does she <laughs> no oh god Whew. She's not that far away, though. She's only in Memphis to work on her first album. So she's becoming a musician now. Apparently, like on one, like one of the first things she ever did is, is she 
appeared in a in a show to cast the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, she was in uh, the Andrew Lloyd Webber kind of X Factor pop idol right. type thing. Was it was it was it the Maria one or was it the? It oh, she was the something the, was, over that. No, yes, she yeah. was the uh, Dorothy. Yeah. yeah, Dorothy. She was. Um, she didn't win it. No, but, but that, apparently she did a good job. But that was yeah, that was what launched her stardom. Yes. Yeah, I watched it, and you'd never recognize her if you didn't know that that was her. Right, she can sing. Kind of stunning. Yes. Meanwhile, Darren actor Ryan Early is set to play Prince Charming in a Cinderella panto, which is a bit of a stretch. But there we are. Ed, finally. Former Corey star and Everton football club chairman Bill Kenwright has died at the age of 78. And my apologies, we would have talked about this last week, but Gav was on his deathbed. Theater impresario. Apologies to his his family and and all that. Yeah, you can tell really the impact of um, the guy when you see the, the, the broad spectrum of people who are to come out to... Uh, give their condolences mm. clearly a man that has more than one thing on his his who's who right list um pretty huge and one of them chairmaning a football club right as you do yes and that's cory news that's cory news which moves us seamlessly into our feedback section everyone's a critic Trisha wrote in this week, do either of you get distracted by Daisy's flip smartphone? No, I, I barely I notice. I have now. I barely notice. Trisha writes, it was getting some heavy airtime on Wednesday's episode and Friday's. I work in New York City and literally have never seen anyone with one. They must be more tech forward than Weatherfield. It's a strange thing. It looks kind of like a compact, mm-hmm. but it's, it's folded up. Yeah. And she unfolds it right to answer nobody else has got a phone like this like an old flip phone yeah my favorite phone before an iphone was a uh, flip phone it must be so satisfying you know because you know back in the day before cell phones back mm. back in the dark ages when we were children when you could angrily hang up on somebody. yes you could mm-hmm. angrily hang up on somebody you could go cling fuck you right and you can't really do that with an iphone because you're just boop, boop right. and that's it yep so but you can snap a f- flip phone yeah, shut properly. Yeah, it, it must feel so satisfying to be able to snap a flip phone in anger. But the only time I've ever seen one has been in the Verizon store. I've never seen anyone use one. I don't really notice what phones people have. No, I do. Anyway, thanks, Richard. And thanks to everyone who wrote in with the many messages of good health that we received this week. They were very much appreciated. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Aww. Just reminds me of Central Perk. Good times. Thanks to Ian Les Paul for our coffees this week. Yay! He writes, You ruddy bloody trooper, you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hope you get swamped and drowned in sympathy coffees this week. Well, <laughs> with yours. Yes. Get well, mate. Thank you so much, Ian. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate our... And we appreciate that your wife allows you to still listen to us. <laughs> right. And we appreciate our friends of the podcast, as always, also. But they get their own mention at the end, at the of, end the of the show. At the end of the show, yes. 
The Tug is free is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free. Get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Google Tracy Barlow. Google Tracy Barlow mm-hmm. because she's been missing so much. No. Oh, you're supposed to say that's right. That's right. <laughs> Fucking hell, I'm struggling so much. <clears throat> this was Adam's advice to Arnie the Scaffolder, who was swinging the lead as it were with the building work at number one. Oh yes. And so Adam was threatening them with Tracy Barlow. I was Gavin, and you were the proud owner of David the Gnome, nude. Yeah, and I still haven't hung those up. And also David the Gnome. On the toilet. Yeah, haven't hung that one up yet either. So we talked about shitting gnomes for a good five minutes, <laughs> as we do. You were going to buy a 40 grand tiger. Didn't do it. Thank God. Where would we put it? I'd rather think about where we would put the 40 grand. <laughs> in our lovely warm bank account. <laughs> this marked the start, I think, of our shift to Friday night recordings. Sean is a bit too Sean, so Todd doesn't miss an opportunity to provide a hint about Lawrence's big dark secret. What was his big dark secret again? Oh, he killed his wife. Yes. Much to spider shock, Max is invited to a Halloween party at Griff's racist flat. Only the builder's back to finish the job at number one, but inadvertently busts the toilet. Summer has a shocking change of heart when she discovers how much rehab costs these days. Fizz and Tyrone do their best to protect Hope from the serialisation of Stapes' story, but end up making her more isolated. Nick can't duck. Zidane is off to that London. And Amy sorts everything out. Our moment of the week was the post day coming out of the porta potty. That was funny. That was funny. And our boring moment of the week was Toya's tickets for Weather Scream. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Excellent. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. (laughs) Shall we dive in? Madea. Yes, please. All right, so I've managed to condense what happened two weeks ago down to one paragraph each for those stories. So I will recap them real quick. Sure. And then jump into this week's story. So the first story tonight is, do you want to bet? Now, last week, Michael was suspected of being in cahoots with Stephen when D.S. Swain found him with a big pile of cash in his rucksack. However, this was from Ed, who was hiding his illicit gambling winnings so he had to come clean to Joel who was representing Michael and also come clean to Ronnie about his, his gambling again Ed promised that he was done but when their recent investment came through he was going to make a beeline for the casino and was only stopped when he conveniently bumped into Peter who was in a mood to chat openly about addiction and the destructive impact it can have so Ed changed his mind he did, and we assume didn't gamble good job Peter Barlow yeah. For being in the right place at the right time. So on Monday, Michael, who doesn't currently work at the factory, turns up at the factory to speak with Sarah. He wants to use the money that his dad's given him to pay back some of what he owes because of the shenanigans that Stephen was up to. Six grand. 
Which is... A drop in the ocean. Yes. Maybe a, a decent gesture. Right, yeah, because he's like, I know that there are people who work here who could really use this. But Sarah's like, forget it. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, Carla's yeah, in, in Spain trying Hispania. to get some deals or Still. whatever. Why is it taking her so long? <laughs> is that two weeks that she's been going for? This, this is now a holiday, isn't it? It seems so, yes. And the Bailey's glory is about to be arrested for looking far too fucking cute. Michael tells Didi that Sarah has refused the money. Didi tells him to keep his pecker up. Folk will come round. Yes. And, that, and then there's some discussion about whether a pumpkin is a fruit or a vegetable. Yes. It's a vegetable, isn't it? Or is uh, it a fruit? Well, Michael says it's a fruit and Didi says it's a vegetable. I always consider them a vegetable. Uh, I would all say a vegetable. Gourds and squashes and stuff. Because if a pumpkin is a fruit, then a squash and a zucchini are both fruits. That's, and that just doesn't make any sense. That's how my mum described it to me. <laughs> at the Halloween party, Didi has a go at Sarah for refusing Michael's money and not giving him his job back. Sarah reminds her what Michael did, which Didi says Michael knew nothing about, unlike Sarah's knowledge of Stephen fleecing Audrey. Right, yeah. And which if she, she had something. told people, Michael would never have trusted Stephen, which is a fantastic point. That's why she's a lawyer. Right. Sarah goes round to see Michael, offers him his job back, and he is thrilled. Yes. And that's that done. And nobody has told Carla. Right. And one assumes that if Carla comes back, she's not going to be happy about this. No. Because she really does blame blame Michael for an awful yeah. lot of this. Yes, she does. Did we decide whether we thought that that was reasonable or not? I think we decided that it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was kinda, Although... It was kind of incompetent on... Yeah, yeah, it was incompetence. But again, you know, Dee Dee made an excellent point this week that has given me pause. Because as far as everyone knew, there was no reason to suspect that Stephen would do something underhanded. Mm -hmm. Michael was unaware of him ever doing anything underhanded. And if Sarah had said something, or if Carla had said something, although Carla, okay, Michael was aware at this point that Carla had accused Stephen of drugging her. Michael was of the opinion, though, I think, that Carla was round the bend again. Right. And Car- and was also there when Carla apologised to Stephen to try to smooth things over. Right. So, yeah. Maybe better just to give him his job back and... Right. Let the chips fall where they may. And let, exactly. Let the chips fall where they may. It's more punishment to work with Beth. <laughs> Very true. So, yes, that was that for for this week and and last week and we didn't get any more of Ed's gambling or otherwise I was quite pleased that um that a uh, convenient as it was mm-hmm. the the meeting between Ed and Peter Peter a couple of weeks ago it really did give them a chance to talk about this sort of thing you know the right and I think the the convenience of it maybe drew the the impact of it just a little bit for me but it was still it was nice to see the two of them talk because you don't really see that sort of thing happening right. very often. And it was good to see uh, those words having an impact on on Ed. I just wonder if they could have done it a little bit more subtly than that. Well, let's be honest. There's been more egregious bumping into one another's of convenience on the show. Oh, it happens For this week. one, yeah. yeah. So it's not like it's not like they don't do this all the time. Good point. We shall move on then to our next story and just a couple of scenes here for play again, Sam. 
Last week, Sam decided, apropos of nothing, that he wanted to rekindle his relationship with Hope, and so he booked a table at the bistro on Halloween just for the two of them, and in doing so, reduced Nick to tears. Sam invites Hope along in Nina's roles, where Roy overhears and suggests that Natasha would be very proud of her son. And then on Monday this week, Sam and Hope show up for their Halloween party date, while in the background, Nina surprises everyone by taking her front teeth out. (laughs) What the fuck did she just do there? <laughs> and and once she did it and she put it back in, it was like, how brave was that? Because yeah. it's very much a, an industry, to mm-hmm. being a, a an actor on TV, right? Where your appearance is, is super important, mm-hmm. and to to prove that she had falsers in her front teeth as well. Uh-huh take them out and put them back in again, kind of make a joke of it. Right. I thought, God, that she's got guts to do that, I think. Oh. Don't you think? Well, yeah, but I thought it was brave because of the fact that she had had her teeth kicked out by, what's his name? ITV Corey. I don't think they kicked her teeth in, in real life just so she could do that. No, but it kind of... It, does the actress in real life have false teeth? I presume have, so, because she took falsers out. Yeah, but... They, 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 managed to hide, they managed to hide Jack's leg right enough. Movie magic. You know, I thought it was just, you know, I can take this really huge tragedy in my life and turn it into something else. Do you know, I was so fooled by it that I assumed, and I don't know that this isn't the case. Right. That, but I just assumed that she didn't have front teeth in real life. Uh-huh. But either way, either way. I, on the character's uh, perspective or... Mm-hmm. Or the actresses on Molly Gallagher's perspective. I thought it was quite the quite the decision to do that. It'd be like if I put my um my my mouth protector in <laughs> and, and did the podcast with my mouth protector in. Yeah. I don't think anyone would thank you. <laughs> but hey, at least you wouldn't grind your teeth. Right. Which so, you know. Which you don't typically do as we're doing this. Not part. not when I'm awake, no. no. So anyway, Sam talks about how he didn't he doesn't believe in the one inverted commas but he wouldn't want to be there with anyone else hope brings up natasha's death anniversary but sam doesn't want to talk about that mm-hmm. makes it very clear he doesn't want to talk about that mm-hmm. and goes off for some ice cream yes and that's as far as that goes yes a strange little conversation just for weird a 12 recom- year old exactly how he doesn't believe in the one right that statistically there can't only be one person for every one person when did he become this guy? I don't know. We we get so little of Sam these days. But everything that we see of him would suggest that he's kind of stable in his mm-hmm. character. He hasn't changed that much. But this no. was a, a very odd thing for him to say. Right. It was very odd for him to take the lead, I think, in yeah. the relationship. And the to conversation, yeah. And, in, and to bring it up in the conversation was just doubly weird. Mm. And Hope seemed oddly distracted by the whole thing anyway. Yeah. Very weird. They were very awkward with one another. Hmm. I wonder if the if his reaction to her want to talk about Natasha has some bearing on on where this was going because well, Nick was worried about it last week and right cried a little bit about it. She doesn't mention it until after he does the whole awkward the one speech, which I think he intended to be romantic, <laughs> but it didn't it was come the opposite out that, of that way. Wasn't it? I don't think you're that. Twelve. I don't think you're that special, but you're special enough, right? 
as kind of the message right. that's coming yeah. out of that. I don't believe in the one, and yet you're the one. For now. <laughs> you're the one right now. Yep. Later on in the week, there's a conversation with Eliza, where she brings up this rekindling. Yeah, and she says and that the the group chat's gone quiet. Yeah. Don't don't be all doing that all in there just because you two are back together again. Because I thought that in the absence of hope, Sam had been trying to kin- rekindle something with, with Eliza, Eliza, but right. that doesn't seem to be the case either. And also, I just I don't know if I'm comfortable with the show worrying about the the love lives of twelve year olds. Right. Is this really what this show is about? Well, it doesn't really get the love life of. 20-somethings any better, really. Well, yeah, more on that later. Yeah. All right, (laughs) we're flying through this. Yes. Our next storyline tonight is Making a Murderer. So last week, Rita tells Audrey that before she was run over, Stephen had told Jenny that she wasn't going to hurt her. Armed with this, Audrey tells DS Swain, who promptly arrests Peter on suspicion of Moida, during the interview, though, it becomes very clear that Peter couldn't possibly have known anything about this, and who could assume that those weren't Stephen's intentions after all, and he's released and the investigation dropped, although Swain does seem a bit suspicious of Peter and his demeanour as he leaves. With everyone worried that he's about to get smacked into the booze again, Peter goes to start smoking again instead in the community garden where Toya checks them, talks them down, and they have a lovely moment before Peter heads off for a meeting. Yes. So much stock seemed to be getting put into what Jenny said, Stephen said. Right. Just yeah. because a guy says that he's not going to hurt you doesn't mean, mean that, that he's, he's not going to hurt, hurt you. you. Right. It, it's hearsay anyway. It would never hold up in court. No. I guess Jenny could testify that that's what he said. But anyway, it's right. the, for Audrey to put so much yeah. stock into this seemed very unreasonable you know what i am appreciative of though they they seem to have toned down the you know the confusion that audrey was experiencing initially Mm -hmm. you know calling stephen clonking sarah over the head an accident (laughs) yes and he wasn't really all that bad even though he killed people Sort of thing. I'm glad they've toned that down and she seems less confused. Yeah, there's only so far you can go with he's the misunderstood serial killer. Right. Even though there were accidental elements of it, the second that he didn't immediately go to the police. Right. I, I don't think we really have any sympathy for him. No, anymore. no. The, the second he decides he's going to hide Leo's body. <laughs> yes. And burn his clothes. Yes. Makes him look a little bit suspicious. That bridge is burned. Mm. So on Monday this week, Peter's in the cabin chatting to his sponsor, I think, about his upcoming meeting. Audrey comes in and immediately starts snarking at him, telling him to enjoy his freedom while it lasts. Her nose is put out of joint, though, when Peter calmly explains that the police have let him go and the investigation is done. Later, Audrey's on Maxine's bench when Ken comes along. Audrey angrily tells him that she intends to go back to the police to demand that they reopen the case. <laughs> Ken insists that Peter regrets what he did. Audrey says Stephen did too. No, he didn't. Ken reminds Audrey that Stephen is dead, murdered a bunch of people, and Peter is an alcoholic that every day is a struggle for. Mm-hmm. This, for some reason, seems to chime with Audrey, and she goes to see Which Peter. Which is weird, because I'm, I'm sh- quite sure somebody mentioned this to Audrey already. Mm-hmm. Like a member of her own family has said, look, this is an alcoholic, and also, how would you feel... You know, how do you think Ken would feel 
if if Peter gets sent down and stuff, and she didn't seem to care until Ken says it. But I think this is the second time Ken has said it because I thought he said this something along these lines when they had their wee tea and and Audrey stormed out in a huff, right? As well. So maybe it's finally sinking in then, right? Yes. Who knows? So Audrey goes to visit Peter. She says life is too short for hate. She's spoken to Ken, and she doesn't want to see anyone else suffer because of Stephen. Now pop the fucking kettle on. And they end up chatting about Audrey's gran who took her to church in the statue of Mary with seven swords through her heart. Child Audrey, which is kind of hard to imagine, mm-hmm. asks why the statue was like that and her gran said, that's what it's like to be a mother. Truth. The two of them chat reasonably from each other's perspective and Audrey tells them to stay sober. Peter says he has great support. So that's good. Yes. On Friday, Peter is ready to go back to work. Or Peter has actually just finished his shift. first shift back yeah. at work. When he bumps into Toy and Nina's roles, he explains the developments with Audrey, but he's having trouble accepting forgiveness. Toya says he's got through worse and arranged to go to one of Peter's meetings later after he's had a nap. Then Simon turns up at Peter's flat. He's asking to keep there for a few days as there's a water leak at his place or something. Right. Which normally just happens at the school, doesn't it? Hmm. Peter agrees, warns him that Ryan will be moving back in. Well, we'll see about that. And they arrange to go out for lunch, so Peter calls Toya. To give her a rain check on the meeting. Right. But when he does that, he doesn't say, I have to give you a rain check because Sai showed up and I want to spend some time with my son. He just says, something else has turned up. <laughs> and then and then weirdly gets a hiccups. Right. It's like, what? what is... Why can't you be more specific? Because being specificity erases suspicion. Well, and then the Which, same kind of thing happens in the next scene. Right, yes. Because later, Toya's not for taking no for an answer. She comes around anyway. Well, I think she was concerned because he wasn't specific enough, you know, with the whole something turned up. Oh, well, we don't have to say that we think that. We know that because she said that she's checking up on him. Right. And says that there's another meeting happening in half an hour, so why don't they go along to that? So Peter agrees to go out, telling Simon that Toya's got car trouble. Why are we lying to Simon Why now? are we lying to Simon about going Simon to a meeting? Simon knows you're an alcoholic. He knows you go to meetings. He's an adult child. Why are you making things up? He's an adult up? child? Yes. He's Peter's adult child. Just like Nick is our adult child. Oh, I see child. what you mean. Yes. Yes. It's like he's like a man baby. So confused, <laughs> are you? He's not really a man baby. <laughs> Peter's more the man, baby. Well, or he was, anyway. Yeah, but yeah, it's so weird why he's not, why he's making things up when he doesn't have to. None of this bodes well. No, no, because all he's doing is putting suspicion in Simon's head that something's <laughs> going on between him and Toya. Absolutely. And they obviously have history. History, but... right. Is he ashamed? Is that why he wouldn't say something to Simon? I can't I mean, I imagine think Simon why knows he would, what yeah. he's going through. Yeah. What he's been through recently. And he knows he goes to meetings and he knows he's an alcoholic. I, it doesn't make any sense. It seems like the only reason why that's here is so that Simon suspects that he and Toya are hooking up behind Carla's back so that he and Carla can get into an argument later. Right. And then he sails away on a boat or something. <laughs> yes. Did we get any phone calls from Carla this week? I don't think we did. I don't think so either. We did last week. Yes. But apparently... Oh no, I think we maybe got a little conversation. Maybe Adam and Peter were talking about it. Or no, Daniel and Peter were talking about Carla Carla being being away. away. Yeah. 
and it takes as long as it takes and right he doesn't know when she's going to be back right which is weird now she went over with very express intentions to right to resolve a, a business dispute right how, how how long does that take how many times can you demand that people take a meeting with you before you just kind of have to accept the no right she's on vacation at this point definitely <laughs> she's on the playa she's got a margarita and she's just enjoying some of that autumnal sun in mallorca or wherever it Yay. is that she is she's got her ray-bans on oh god yeah mm. <laughs> mm. and she's saying all right bob eggs in <laughs> spanish and i don't know what that would be spanish hola escroto I think is probably the closest translation that we're Hola, going to get. Hola, escroto. Yeah, that's... that's mm-hmm. I should have known that that would be the Spanish for scrotum. Such a beautiful language, isn't it? Well, it <laughs> just dances. Yes. It dances off the tongue. Yes. What's the like German that? for scrotum? Diversion of the week. Aldo <laughs> Hodensack. 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 <laughs> I've worked with a guy who could speak German fairly fluently and he uh-huh. enjoyed telling me that the German for nipple is Brustwarze, which literally translates to breastwort. Yes. Beautiful language. Beautiful, beautiful The language, language of love. So it's it's bag for your testicle, basically. <laughs> a hold all for your testicles. Yes. Yeah. Any other language that you're interested in <laughs> seeing while I'm here? Japanese, maybe? Sure. One more. Let's let's leave Europe. That makes sense. Konnichiwa, inno. There we go. Or is that how you say it? Konnichiwa, inno. Yeah. Inno. Konnichiwa, inno. Oh, that, that wasn't there. Inno. 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 <laughs> it's simple. Yeah. It's simple. Yes. So now Carla knows how to do business in Spain, Germany, and Japan. I yes. Think, I think she's on the road to success. I think here. I prefer the Japanese. Olai Scrotto's pretty good. <laughs> yes. All right. I just like the word konnichiwa. Yes. It reminds me of my one of my favorite bands, Chibomato. All right, let's move on to our next storyline, which is is this still a thing? <laughs> Last week, the show remembers that Asha is training to be a paramedic. You must have loved that. I did. You must I have did. been so disappointed so that we didn't talk about it. We couldn't talk about it last week. That was an hour. And now we're right there talking about right. this because it was January the second, I think, right, of you, this year when Nina took a spill, right, into a pond. sprinting into the canal of whatever it was, and uh, Asha decided at that point she was going to. She had her life's destiny all mapped out for her. Now. Yes, she was going to be a paramedic. Yes, and then never mentioned it again. Right. Well, she mentioned it last week, and she mentioned it this week. She did. The show has remembered. I take full credit for that. <laughs> Good. Good for you. <laughs> Apparently it's going well and she has her first ride along with Isla, who was fab and who will no doubt be the centre of an affair before too long. <laughs> Meanwhile, Asha is given more cause to believe that Courtney Boobs is taking Addy for a ride when she pretends to be sick to avoid going for a job interview and then claims to be too sick to help decorate the flat, all of which makes Addy worry that she's pregnant, which she isn't. And he quickly learns that the sickness is more down to Courtney's idleness. And anxiety. So she says. Yeah, yeah. So it's hilarious that he's like, she's throwing up and it's morning. She must be pregnant. We have sex. 
he announces to the cafe. <laughs> On Monday, Nina rolls the chats about the Halloween do at the bistro. Asha apparently has nothing to wear, but Bernie thinks she should go as a sexy paramedic now that that's what she is. Mm-hmm. Bernie takes a good minute to describe what that is. A sexy zombie paramedic. Mm-hmm. And then Addy comes in, sees Dev, and immediately leaves. Yeah, he does a Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> yes, he does. Literally. Later, yes. Later, Dev and Bernie talk about the situation with Addy. Bernie reckons that life is too short for family disputes and begs him to talk to Addy and just accept his romantic choices, whether he approves of them or not. So Dev goes round to Addy's to make peace. Addy reluctantly gives his dad a chance. Dev's got a snake plant which Addy takes as a dig to Courtney Booth's, but Dev insists not, apologises for interfering in the relationship, and Addy apologises for smashing the kebab shop window. And for a moment, just a moment, they're cool, until Dev starts talking about his, uh, Addy's new job working at Freshco, stacking shelves, and he belittles Addy saying that he could be working in a shop he will one day own, which he would be doing if it wasn't for that whore bag, Courtney Boobs. Right. And at, and at this, he must smell her perfume behind him, and he just stops and says, she's behind me, isn't she? Right. And he kind of like implies that she's like a gold digger or something. And it's like, of what? Mm-hmm. Addy has nothing. Yeah. Dev tells Courtney Boobs to go back to her husband and offers her a ride. Addy's heard enough and throws his dad out before he chucks him out. And later at the pokey flat, Addy's looking for Courtney Boobs to help decorate the bathroom, but she's sulking about the altercation with Dev. Addy promises to support them no matter what it takes, and he'll make this work. She hugs him, gets weepy and then reluctantly agrees to help in the bathroom. On Wednesday at the Pokey Flat, Courtney Boobs is secretly checking her phone when Addy comes in to announce that he's got the job at Freshco's. Yay! She seems oddly emotional, hugs him, tells him he can achieve anything he wants. He invites her uh, to afternoon tea with Asha and Nina, and she okays it before nipping out. And it turns out it's only Nina who turns up for afternoon tea. Yes. Asha apparently is running late, and so, apparently, is Courtney Boobs. And it's still just the two of them later... Addy calls Courtney, but then there's a knock at the door, and it's Darren who's come for Courtney's things. They've got back together, and she didn't want a scene, so sent him round to do her dirty work. And Darren is remarkably chipper, considering that Addy's been banging his wife six ways to Sunday. Yeah. Right, and also seems remarkably chipper for someone who had already filed for divorce, and been like... <laughs> yes. So he says to Addy, oh, she's waiting back in the bath for me. So, what, what do you think they've been doing here? Right. It's just strange, strange to bring that up, right, in front of the kid who's been banging his wife. Banging his wife. Anyway, he gathers up her stuff, tells Addy that she's already blocked him. It's over. He tells Addy to move on, and then he leaves. Later, Addy is sitting sniffing Courtney's jumper, the only thing that he has left. Ah, uh, young Daniel's son. <laughs> it's a sex cardigan in the making, isn't yes. it? Nina points out that she could hardly wait to go back to her life of luxury. Addy blames Dev for some reason and then blames Nina and then asks Nina not to tell Asha or Dev he can't cope with the pile on. So Asha gets home late. She's been having drinks with Isla, the obvious future affair fodder. Nina stands by Addy's request and doesn't tell her about Courtney Boobs going back with Darren Boobs. Asha is too busy (laughs) talking about how great Isla is. Right, yeah. And that was weird. It's like, oh, she couldn't make it for afternoon tea. And instead of like going directly home, she goes out for drinks, even though there's afternoon tea yeah. leftovers. So leaving Nina to have afternoon tea with her brother. Right. Not very considerate. No. 
Much later in Alone, Addy tries to call Courtney again, but once more it goes straight to voicemail, so Addy picks up a framed picture of the two of them and smashes it in a furious rage where it lands on the floor next to a carbon monoxide alarm that we're very careful to notice. And that started to make me think, was this what happened to Shelley? And what would the ramifications of that be? None really. She was going to die. Right. She died maybe a bit earlier than she was going to. But why would we see the carbon monoxide alarm? I didn't notice it. Yeah, the shot stayed on it for a few seconds. Did it? Mm. And you could see carbon monoxide alarm written on the the surface of the thing. Strange. Maybe they were... Weren't they supposed to be like putting those up? In the bathroom and stuff? Wasn't that one of the things that Addie wanted her to help do earlier? Mm-hmm. It was just, just paint, wasn't it? Right, but they they had to take it down to paint. Well, you know, maybe. they got to put it back up. Just a strange thing to focus on. Right. If, you, if you focus on a carbon monoxide detector, something's about to die of carbon monoxide poison. Right, yes. However, this week was the first week that I noticed the rainbow down to boogie poster in Daniel and Daisy's flat. So not yes or I can boogie? Yes, that's it. Yeah. And I thought, oh, they're Scottish football fans? Because that's a Scottish football anthem. Is it? Yes, sir. I can boogie. I saw that, you know, I, I noticed it for the first time and it was in like nearly every shot of them in their flat this week. And I'm sure that doesn't mean that they're going to start Boogieing or go to Scotland to watch a football match. That's right. Boogieing is exactly the same as carbon monoxide poisoning. (laughs) So on Friday, Dev bumps into a sheepish Addy outside the tram station and tries to apologise again. Invites him and Courtney Boobs over for dinner. Addy says he'll need to check and just continues walking. Home later, Addy phones Dev to cancel the dinner plans when Courtney Boobs comes back on her own. She says she's here to check in and make sure he's okay. He asks her to come back, but she says it's too late because her contract is up and hasn't been renewed. She tells him he was a jump start for her and Daniel. And Daniel. And Darren. He asks her to just have an affair with him then instead. Oh dear, 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 dear. Courtney says it's over and tells him to be anything he wants to be, which is the end of Bugsy Malone, I think. He tells her that he loves her. She tells him he doesn't, and he'll realise that. And she says all of this in Scouse, and then leaves. Yay. Dev and Nina are heading off for their meal, because their meal was going ahead, whether Addy was there or not, apparently. Right, yeah. And Nina nips off to buy tampons, but she's really seen Addy in the community garden. And it's once again weird that Asha isn't there with them. At that point. And also, is this the first time the word tampons has appeared on Coronation Street, do you one think? The, one of the few times. <laughs> it's not every week that I have to say tampons. Well, not on the podcast anyway. Well, we do have a cat called tampons. <laughs> so I guess, I guess that counts. And that right, we tampons. You're right, Hen. We are absolutely getting a new cat named tampons. So long as, as it's a boy. As- it has to be a boy, though. As soon as one more cat dies. Two and you've got a deal. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Addy explains about his meeting with Courtney and how he's just been a pawn in Courtney and Darren's game of chess. Nina tells him to just go to the meal, tell them, face the music. But Addy reacts badly to this. Yes, he does. And storms off. Nina takes his petulance quite well, actually, yeah. and goes off to get her dinner. Nina is very cool in her stride. Yep. So. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Now, how did you feel about the storyline ending? It feels weird. Doesn't it? It, f- it feels weird 
so insofar as it feels unplanned. I mean, on Wednesday, when she just didn't show up to pick up her stuff, the show, I think, either either the show started posting or the the newspaper started posting that that's it. That's Stephanie Davis now out of Coronation Street. We're saying goodbye to mm-hmm. Courtney. Ian McLeod has, has been happy with how this has gone and the door has been left open for her to come back. I thought that was strange. I thought it was strange that Ian McLeod is quoted as saying, didn't you do well? That seems like a weird thing to draw attention to, mm-hmm. I think. I don't think he says that to everybody who leaves. Yeah. So maybe he actually genuinely means it, or maybe he doesn't mean it and, and is covering that up by saying it. Who knows? I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to say. Ye- but if that was how that was supposed to end, I can't think of a more sudden and awkward end of a storyline and boring arc you can't call it an arc because the the descent isn't there no, it just goes to point just disappears off a cliff yeah yeah the um the articles that i read about you know her moving forward with her singing career and everything and, and i think this is a quote from her people not the show's people that said you know Stephanie, of course, you know, was was thrilled to be on Coronation Street and would have loved to continue to play the man-eater Courtney for many years to come. But the showrunners believed that the story had run had run its course, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It kind of feels like and, and we kind of said this from the start because of the language when this when this storyline started. Mm-hmm we and a number of other people who who do this sort of thing for uh, for the show were like it feels like they've misread the room that this is the sort of storyline that would have been w- which would have taken off quite well and been well received in the 80s or 90s but that in this day and age it feels a bit icky it, it certainly didn't feel like the show appreciated that this was a grooming story. Right. Which it absolutely was. Yeah. And so it, it kind of felt like the show kind of realized that this was not being well received and was being viewed as a grooming story. And so made the decision to pull out, as it were, as quickly as possible. No. I'm not sure that the show gives two fucks about whether storylines are well received or not. Well, I think so long as people are talking about it, that's pretty much what the what the aim is. Right. However, there have been storylines in the past where rumor has it a character just hasn't landed well with the audience, or right. it isn't gelling, or the storyline just isn't working. Right. And they've had to very quickly rewrite it. Yeah. This feels very quickly rewritten. Right. Because it isn't an ending. Right. If you were to read this as a book. Right. And just with maybe two hints of her in one episode, kind of being a bit maudlin. Right. She went out one day and she never came back. Right. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I've been reading like 200 pages of this book. Where's the end? Yeah. And I mean, you say the show doesn't give two fucks, but I think when it comes to... By and large. I, but I think when it comes to, oh, we're going to write this this story that will have comedic elements to it about a very a very young man with 
an older woman and it'll be great and people will love it and it will be sexy and stuff. And then like, as soon as they announce it, people say, wait a second, this is a grooming story. You know, it kind of feels like that's not what they want. That's not how they thought it would be received as. Yeah. And I, I, I can agree with that. It's, you know, it's not just that it's a story that nobody likes or that it's a character nobody likes, although that is a problem too. And yet Lauren is still on the show, but more on that later. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it, it kind of feels like there is more to this story falling off a cliff and everybody's very being very careful about the way they word it. Because like there were other articles too that were really weird, like... Like in the headline, it would say controversial character has has quit the show or has been axed from the show. But then in the actual body of the article, it says beloved character. Mm. Courtney Vance has left the building sort of thing. So there are some mixed messages out there. Yeah, they, they t- typically use language like beloved and star when... It's somebody who's been on not, the show for two days. When she's not beloved and, and she's not been in the show for that long. So, isn't really a, you can't call her a Corey Star, otherwise you start to call the guy that was the the poster the other week a star because he he starred in the show. But that's not really how you, the star thing right works. No, I don't know. It it just it struck me as being odd that E. McLeod took the time to say that she's that he was really pleased with how her character went. It. It's, that sounded to me like it was answering a question that nobody had asked. Right. And but, he didn't do that for Ryan Early. No. Who is also now out of the show. But um, but he also then went on to say that the focus for Andy is going to be Amy. Which and, and, and we would have that, liked from the very beginning. That's where his his future is. And it's, I, don't, I don't think he's been as explicit about that before and we've always kind of hoped for that right and that they adopt a great day that always made sense and yeah they and had buy to, a van and had to be a detective agency right so yeah just a really weird end to a really weird storyline right that has never never sat well with me i'm pretty sure it hasn't sat well with you and, and really hasn't sat well with anybody that we call i haven't with. really seen anybody praise this storyline or think this storyline was good no you know and it you know i hated steven i hated steven from the very beginning right. and i thought that storyline went on far too long and it was ridiculous and far too camp but there were people like you who really loved it loved it and loved him couldn't get enough of it right still kind of sad that it's not a thing anymore right so you know so for it to be a storyline that nobody was in for nobody liked and normally you get little clues that yeah this is a storyline that isn't going to be going forward or she's about to leave or this you know right it just felt very very quickly right rushed and dealt with and i don't know i I, mean we we knew that she like kind of hated it there and was lazy and didn't want to help paint and was out shopping with some money. Yeah, but so what was the point of the whole thing right. then? There was no point. There was no point. We were waiting for the point. It's and never, never came. Gonna, it's never going to arrive. All right, anyway. let's move on to our next storyline, which is Tim's mum about the house. Woo! A 
forgot she was in it last week. She was. And this will probably be the last time we can use this music for a, for at least a little while. Last week, Tim continues to have third-person flashbacks. After a lot of back and forth, George ill-advisedly arranges uh, Stephen's funeral for Audrey, which Gail has reservations about how this will affect Tim. Tim catches wind of the arrangements and swears to sabotage it, which he does by boxing the hearse in and locking himself in his cab and breaking the key off in the ignition. Sally eventually talks him down and the funeral is allowed to proceed, although Gail is now so worried about Tim that she refuses to go, so it's just Audrey and Sarah. With Tim off in a huff somewhere, Sally speaks to Gail and takes her to the funeral, which is photographed by those fucking paps. Tim sees the headline and goes to leave Sally for her supposed disloyalty, but instead eventually confesses to her about his stress and his nightmares and his PTSD. I felt so bad for George because, you know, he's like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm standing on my principles. And, and, and then those principles are also balanced on top of feelings ashes that he was looking after for the best part of right. four years. Right. Which he didn't cremate feeling it was his dad, but still it was in there. And I think, I and I think that and his relationship with Eileen has a part of that, you know, you know what? I'm just, I don't want to do this. I'm not comfortable doing this. Right. And I think that's part of why Todd didn't want to do it and was not comfortable with it. But then, like, Audrey keeps railing at him and railing at him. Oh, your dad would have never done something like this to me. And, and how dare you? And it's like, there's a perfectly good other funerary place mm-hmm. that doesn't give a fuck about the morals, <laughs> the morality of the Anything. people that they're burning up. As long as there's a buck. Right. Go to them. Right. You know, the man said no. Leave him alone. And like Gail and other people are trying to explain to her, look, he's got to run his business on this street. Mm-hmm. People didn't like Stephen. Stephen murdered people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, on, on Monday, Tim's been up all night staring into space, but at least his third person flashbacks seem to have subsided. Sally's worried about him and thinks he should stay at home and watch telly rather than go to work. And in his role, Sally ends up chatting to Steve about Tim's condition and she asks Steve to speak with him. He says he already has, but agrees to do so again and says he doesn't mind speaking about feelings as he's a modern man now, but he's a little taken aback when she expects him to do it right now. Her and Debbie, which was really funny, because why is Debbie in on that? I know. (laughs) Sally calls Eileen to warn that Steve won't be into work. Eileen apparently is cool about all this. Yes. Although off screen. Yes. So Steve goes round to see a suspicious Tim who knows that Sally sent him. Steve basically tells Tim to get over himself. Who among us hasn't tried to sabotage the funeral of a man determined to kill us? And he orders him to go on the mystery tour that he has planned. So Steve, <laughs> despite the the horror that uh, Tim has experienced near a canal yeah. and in the trunk of a car, Steve drives Tim to the river to show him the contents of the trunk of his car. Yes, He's not about to reenact Stephen's confinement. He wants to go fishing like the suit shoe guy and the other bloke doing the TV and the boot is full of tackle. Yes. And all of this is hilarious because we all remember the conversation Stephen and Jenny had about whether or not Tim fishes. And Jenny said, oh, no, he's far too lazy to fish, right. which is the weirdest thing anybody has ever said about fishing. But but she seems to have been right. Well, no, she she was she seems to have been right that he doesn't like fishing, but not because he's too lazy. Because that's what, I, what sort of energy does it take to fish? None. 
Tim doesn't want to, but we all know that he's going to because the show wouldn't drive out into the middle of nowhere for one tackle joke. Tim slowly comes round to the idea of fishing as it gives him and Steve a chance to talk about Bubbles the Chimpanzee, who recently turned 40. Tim has bad memories of fishing thanks to Tim's fucking dad being an asshole. Right. So that's why he doesn't like fishing. It's because his dad is an ass- was an asshole. And Steve says how things haven't been right between him and Tracy and since that- Oliver died. I'm like, what? really? Since when? What? You guys, seem- you guys have gone through so many other things like Amy getting raped mm-hmm. and Amy getting upskirted. Or- they do address the rape because Steve says that he still can't believe they didn't kill the guy. Right. Yes. But it's like, there was no evidence throughout all of that, that Tracy and Steve weren't a united front and loved one another very much. No, there was maybe a a bit of, Steve's probably a bit depressed here. Right. But when he said that about him and Tracy, like... What? Nonsense. That's so dumb. Oliver's been dead forever. Oh. Well, in the show... Right. It seems like forever, because it was like, what, two years ago? Three, three, four years ago. Yeah. It's a while. Leanne seems to have, you know, moved on. Nick still is an emotional wreck about it. Right, but that's more that he's an emotional wreck about Natasha, which is the thing that should be concerning Leanne, but never mind. Tim says bad things happen in life and he should stop torturing himself. Tim says Steve is his best mate. Steve says Tim is top five. (laughs) And then they catch a fish. That was hilarious. Back home, Tim is now into fishing and shows off a picture of the tiny fake fish that he caught. He put it back. Sally's pleased to see him chipper for a change. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, in Nina rolls, Tim tells Kirk and Steve that he has been investigating getting fishing equipment and was shocked to see how expensive it can be. Kirk thought he was talking about getting his hole. <laughs> oh, Kirk. Gail goes to see Sally, who has made a cheesecake. She gets the tub out of the fridge, but is shocked to find that instead of cheesecake, it's full of maggots and Gwyneth Paltrow's head. John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> Sally is going to kill Tim. It was hilarious. But then for some reason, Brian and Max turn up to take care of the maggots and Max is cleaning out the Sally's fridge. Yeah. What? What happened to the cheesecake? Because the cheesecake wasn't underneath the maggots, was it? You would think Tim would have moved it first. Did Tim eat the whole cheesecake? cheesecake? Now, Homer, don't you eat this pie. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. Apparently, apparently, because this is the 1950s now, when Sally and Gail saw those maggots, they ran screaming from the house, yelling, Eek! Eek! They stood on chairs and they pulled their petticoats up. Their skirts up, up. yep. yep. And did a little dance dice, on the chair. Dice falling out and flick knives and playing cards and stuff. Hairpins. For some reason, oh, I've said that about Brian and Max. Right, Sally, so that's why Brian and Max are there, because they witnessed oh, them running out of the house and screaming. Yeah. Sally wants them flushed. Tim comes in wanting to know why people who are never in his house are in his house. And Sally instructs him to deal with his Tupperware of filth. And Brian is so sad because he was going to take them home and raise them as his own. At the end of the day, Sally's pleased Tim has a new hobby. And they're about to go off and get their hole when some maggots fall out of Tim's pockets. Yum yum. That's as far as we get with that. He was warming them up. Oof. Jesus. Needs a warning. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the main thing, oddly from that, was the 
Stephen Tracy revelation, which right. is still taking me by surprise. Yeah, yeah, because there's been no evidence of that at all. At all. We've barely seen Tracy. We just saw Tracy last week for the first time in forever. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point that people thought that Tracy was sacked from the show. Oh, they did? That Tracy, yeah. People were, like, so relieved when she showed back up again. They thought that she was gone forever. These, uh, this is Odd dates, though, man, because Angley's not been in it for ages, and Aggie's Aggie. not been in it for ages, and everybody's really worried about Aggie. I'm seriously worried about Aggie. Because it's not getting addressed. No. I don't know. Maybe she got sick and tired of so many, you know, Aggie's a bad chef Oh, jeez. I've heard enough of them for a lifetime, honestly. Seriously. But we have this really huge Ed storyline... And Aggie's not here. I know. It always seems weird when one character like that has such a, arguably the biggest story for Ed. Ever. Right. At least since, you know, Ronnie thought Michael was his son. And and Aggie's nowhere to be seen. Yeah. It's weird. And there's only so much you can get from pretending to call her. Right. And, and then it ends up just drawing attention to the fact that and then, and when was the last time we people, saw her? People saying that she's going to visit her auntie who is sick. At this point, auntie has either gotten well or is dead. Right. I'm glad that Tim seems to be on the mend. I'm glad that Tim is talking to Steve. I'm glad that those awful third-person flashbacks seem to be over and done with now because they were just driving me mad. They were so... The one in the drone... Above the forest, yeah. looking down at Tim. And the, the car. Inside the trunk. Right. Tim's not in the shot. At all, anywhere. it's just the car. <laughs> Come on, guys. Oh. Come on. All right, move on then to our next storyline, which is Poster Boy. On Wednesday, Dylan is at home disappointed by Sean's offerings for lunch, so Sean decided it's high time that he went out and got himself a fucking job and earned enough to buy his own. Yes. Remember, and Dylan's an asshole now. Right, yes. And Sean's like kids these days with their chicken nuggets. That's hilarious. Right. I'm sure that was a Bill Cosby routine, wasn't it? Kids these days with their popping in the burping. Wasn't it? Why would you bring up Bill Cosby? Why would anyone bring up Bill Cosby? It's bad enough we got a Michael Jackson reference to the show this week. Oh, no, it was a Bubbles reference. Right. But Pure Bubbles. Tim was confused about why... Why the chimpanzee didn't go to live with other members of the family. And that just reminded me that I watched this documentary at one point with Latoya Jackson. And she goes to visit Bubbles. And she's like on one side of the cage. And Bubbles is on the other side of the cage. Tries to rub her face off. And it's obvious that Bubbles just does not care. And that somebody behind Latoya is like dangling a banana. banana Always with the bananas. Always with the bananas. At the cabin, Sean asks Brian if he has any delivery boy openings for Dylan, but not like that. Brian is dismissive, but Rita signals that they're always looking and basically okays it behind Brian's back. Right. And Nina rolls. Because yeah, Brian's put off by the fact that Sean would buy his gum elsewhere if Brian no longer had. And apparently Brian is thinking about hiring a bouncer for the door of the cabin <sighs> to stop shoplifters. This is Kirk level of, of interaction, isn't it? Yeah, Brian's becoming a, um, a caricature, isn't he? Yeah. And Nina rolls later, Sean tells Dylan the good news. He's got a job at the cabin. Dylan, though, doesn't want to be a paperboy. Tough shit, says Sean. 
So Sean and Dylan go to the cabin where Brian does his best to interview for the position. Dylan doesn't really give a rat's ass about any of this, but it doesn't matter because when Rita comes in, she just gives him the job anyway. On Friday, Dylan is off on his first day delivering papers. He goes up to the first door, puts the paper through the letterbox. I think he's got the hang of it. Then that wee prick Mason with the awful hair shows up and takes a piss out of Dylan for his wee trolley. His but, hair really is so bad. But a wee lassie sticks up for Dylan and Dylan seems to appreciate that. Right, and then she makes eyes at Dylan. Yeah, uh-huh. At least Dylan's got money. Dylan and Mason are back at Eileen's for lunch, which surprises George to see them. Glenda comes in to tell George that she'll be out of the house for a few days. And privately, Mason tells Dylan to get his hands on the keys to that house so they can have a party. So when the chance presents itself, Dylan steals the keys from George's pocket for his house. Then Glenda comes in to tell George apparently that the next door neighbour over there was burgled last night and this changes George's plans. So Dylan puts the keys back in George's pocket. Yes. In the cabin later, Dylan has passed his probationary period. Mason comes in and Dylan tells him that he couldn't get the key but Mason has already told tons of people about the party. George is going to be at his house though, says Dylan. Mason tells him if that's the case... Dylan is going to need to come up with a better location. And that's as far as we get with that. Fuck you, man. Honest to God. What, just... You're the one who told all these people that the party was on. And he acts like he can't just send up... The same a, message the again. The same message again. Say, it's, say, off. it's off. But he expects Dylan to make a message to everyone about the new location of the party. And find a location. Right. Why is Dylan hanging out with this kid? No. I hate this Mason guy because it reminds me too much of my own growing up and hanging around with people that I didn't like. Right. And who didn't like me. Right. And who bullied other people. Yes. I really, really hate him anyway. But I hate him even more because he's just one of these ridiculous Coronation Street baddies. Yeah. He's like a caricature of a bully. He's so not nuanced in any way. No. When we see him with the girls, he's playing keep away with one of their phones. Right. So he's just 100% an asshole all of the time. To everyone. People like that end up not having any friends. There has to be some redeeming feature of him. It has to be either funny or or be decent every now and again when the mood takes him or something. But to be as horrible as he is all the time. Right. Nobody would hang about with him. No, and he doesn't seem to have any other friends but Dylan is the thing. You don't see any other boys hanging out with him. Well, there was those other street thugs. Oh, yeah, that one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, at least ITV Corey sort of had a personality and was attractive to girls and his dad had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Mason has none of that. None. But he is of the same mould though, isn't he? Yeah. He's just this the caricature bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. But they 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 did a better job of drawing ITV Corey, I think. Than this kid. Yeah. ITV Corey was a more well rounded character. Whereas the, Mason is cardboard. Yeah, seriously. Which is which is no fault of the actors. No, they just don't write these, I, not, I don't know if it's a time constraint or something. It's like we we don't have the time to draw this character out, right? Because he's not going to be in it for very long. So all you need to know is that he's a wrong one, right? And that's all you're going to get, right? Yeah. He has no development. He's going to be a bad guy at the start. There will He'll be, be no a arc. bad guy at the end. Yeah. And six months when his contract's up, and then that'll be the last we'll see of him. Yeah, if he lasts six months, I don't think he's going to last six months. 
I just wonder what his and it's like why is going to be why you know Dylan has already caught him making fun of his gay dad. Why would you want to hang out with this kid? And he's already seen him behaving with uh, Liam. Right. And also knows that he knocked that wee lassie down. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's an awful lot in the negative column for this asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing in the positive. That Dylan should be uh, taking notice of. Right. Good for Liam. Yeah. Good for Liam to say, I ain't having any more yeah. to do with this. No, this, this is, guy's this a is dick. Done, right? We're, I'm out of here. Come with me. And and Dylan, for some reason, is not. And again, it's really weird because the whole reason why he moved away from London. That London. London was because of bullying. And specifically, people bullying him for having a gay dad. Mm-hmm. Which is happening here, except now he's friends with a guy. Right. And refuses to stop being friends with a guy. And it's 2023. Come on. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it does hit home for me a bit. And I do understand how this happens, where you're hanging out with this guy, but there's other people around, which makes it bearable. But then one by one, the other people just stop hanging about, and all of a sudden it's just you, and you're the only one that's left with this idiot. And now all your friends have gone. Now what do you do? Well, if you don't do what I did. Right. And give it a couple of years and see how it turns out. No. (sighs) Just drop this guy. Right. You've known Liam longer. Yeah, great pals with him playing FIFA on the couch and stuff. Right, yeah. Doing things that kids that age should probably be doing more of. Right, and now with this kid, you're just eating food, which is probably not even Sean's food in the fridge. It's probably Eileen's. She's going to be very mad. And watching television. What kids watch television these days? Jeez. All right. Our penultimate storyline tonight is Dick and Dom. <laughs> On Wednesday, in Nina Rolls, Stu meets up with his private investigator who has come up with the square root of fuck all against Dom in her inquiries. He's as clean as the driven snow. She hands him his bill and a fancy little receipt and he urges her to find some dirt. Back home, Stu is fussing about Eliza who's late for dinner. She was late for the, because of detention because she fell asleep in class because she'd been up all night watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre after being bet by Imogen and was too scared to sleep. Dom apparently knows nothing about this. Stu, who is always furious about something these days, is furious. When Eliza goes off for a shite, Stu rants about Dom's idea of raising kids and putting parental blocks on the TV. Yasmin and Alia pretend to give a fuck. Right, he's like, why is there no why are there no parental controls on the TV or, or his computer? And I'm just sitting there like, have we ever put a parental control on, on an electronic device in this house? Come into the house and Benny's watching Shameless again. I think, oh well, how about it? Hey, we took him to see Oppenheimer. So <laughs> he can watch all the boobs on television he wants. It's fine. What really stuck in my crawl was Stu calling it Texas Chainsaw. Without the massacre? <laughs> right. He just called it Texas Chainsaw? He just calls it Texas Chainsaw. Texas Texas Chainsaw sounds like like a reality TV show in a hardware store. It misses a vital part. Yeah, the massacre massacre part. And also, isn't it weird that the the horror movie that is chosen for this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Are they talking about the original or are they talking about one of the remakes? On Netflix. 
the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not a new movie by any stretch of the imagination. That's from the 70s. Right. And kids these days are more into, you know, elite sort of. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for all the for all the commotion about it, right. it's more of a cerebral affair. There's very little blood in it, very little gore. Yeah. It's all kind of suggested. Yeah. It's mostly a woman screaming while a guy runs about with a chainsaw. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it should be Scream. She should have been watching Scream. There, I said it. Or Terrifier 2. There you go. Oh, God, that would that would put her off. There we go. Two and a half hours of that. Thank you very much. And then Stu talks about himself watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all the gore and blood in it. So maybe it is a remake then. I haven't seen it. Later, Stu is still going on about Eliza watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and when she comes downstairs from her shite, he moans at her about it and says it will have a word with Dom. For fuck's sake, just leave it, snaps Jasmine. Later, Dom comes to pick up Eliza. While she's getting ready, Stu immediately has a go at Dom about the detention and scary movies. Rather more calmly, Alia suggests taking her laptop at the end of the day just to remove the temptation. Right. Which Dom actually responds positively about. Yes. Stu, though, isn't done and goes on about how a good parent should set boundaries and expectations. Dom reminds Stu of where his own daughter is right now. Yes. <laughs> that shuts him up. And when Eliza comes back, uh, she and Dom leave and Alia congratulates Stu on making a prize fanny out of himself and yes. matters worse. Right, absolutely. And Dom says something about, you know... Wanting her to have a little bit of independence, mm-hmm. which, fair enough. I, I think I think more parents should allow independence with their children. There are too far too many helicopter parents out there. And I'm not saying this just because for most parts of every day, I'm not really sure where my children are. <laughs> well admitted to. I have a friend who goes on, who attends dates that her daughter goes on oh, and God. takes pictures of these dates and posts them on Facebook. It depends whether you trust your kids or not. Or you want to continue to live vicariously through your kids. <laughs> right. It's just as well... Or hate your husband. It's just as well that Dom, that one time, asked for money right. to get out of Eliza's life. Right. Because if he hadn't done that, Stu would have absolutely nothing. Right. That, and that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like, are they making him too reasonable? Because he is. Yeah. And he's got a good response to Stu every time Stu has a dig at him about something. Right. Because he won that argument again. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, do you remember where your daughter is? Mm-hmm. And the fact that... She killed somebody. She, not only did she kill somebody, she didn't... She She kept her mouth shut and allowed you to go to prison for it Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a decent comeback yeah oh dear so later Stu reminds everyone that he's Eliza's legal guardian and he has half a mind to go over there and snatch Eliza back he's right about one thing he does have half a mind on Friday at the bus stop Sam meets with Eliza but she's sporting a black eye now a passing Stu demands to know what's going on Eliza says it was in Taekwondo Stu complains about Eliza doing martial arts when she was tired. Then, thankfully, a bus arrives, putting us all out of our misery. Right, and and Eliza flirts with Sam Just by, a little bit. by, you know, by asking about his relationship with Hope. At home, Stu thinks Dom has blackened Eliza's eye and thinks Yasmin thinks the same. Yasmin does not think the same and tells him to phone Dom to get his side of the story. And in the meantime, tells him he also phoned the Taekwondo place to give them a call and 
right. see what they've got to say about things. But instead, Stu just calls the social services. Well, no, no. In fairness to Stu, he calls the Taekwondo place once, multiple times, and never gets an answer. And then gives up. And then gives up. And, and calls, calls the social, social services. And so Felicity comes over to quiz Eliza about her black eye. So Eliza sits with the social worker and insists it was just the Taekwondo, as she said. Social worker explains that Stu's just worried about her. Eliza says if she doesn't believe her, then speak to Frank. Frank the wank? No. He's the instructor. Yeah, and, you know, if Stu had just been honest with Eliza from the beginning, she would he would have gotten the name of the guy and a better phone number for the guy, <laughs> and all of this could have been averted yes. if he had just trusted his granddaughter enough to speak to her directly. Indeed. So that's what the social worker does, and it's confirmed that the injury was sustained during a Taekwondo session. Yasmin is fucking furious that Stu didn't check before calling the social worker. Eliza storms off upstairs and Stu rubs his eyes. He does that a lot. He does. Eliza is ready to storm off when Dom arrives to pick her up. He's already been tipped off about what's happened today. He says he was also alarmed when he saw the black eye and says it's no harm done. Right, yeah, and he completely understands why they would have called the social worker. Again, utterly reasonable. Totally reasonable! And Stu can't even bear to really thank him for being so reasonable. Mm -hmm. Yasmin tells him he needs to stop this obsession before everyone just switches off their TV. (laughs) At the week later, Stu and Yasmin are having a meal, but when he gets his wallet to pay, the receipt from the private investigator falls out and Yasmin sees it. And if she was fucking furious before, she's fucking even more furious now. Calling social services was misjudged, but this is willing Dom to be bad, she says. He's been ass- assessed. He has to trust the social services. This should be enough. And she orders Stu to call off the private eye. Yeah, which the private <laughs> eye had already said to him, look, yeah. you don't need me. It's fine. I Was it weird that when it fell out, Yasmin bent down to pick it up and then immediately unfolded it to see what it was? Yes. Yeah, just pick it up and hand it back. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not your piece of paper. Right. What is this? We'll see somebody else unfolding the piece of paper multiple times later on. I can't really describe how far my heart sank when the first scene of this storyline happened this week and we realised, oh, we're getting more of this this week. Because I absolutely hate it. I hate what they've done to with Stu. Stu. Yeah. I hate that this is just so low stakes but being played out to be this major Mm storyline that requires Stu to be furious all the time and and always upset about something and so overbearing shut up granddad literally Let, let you know what Eliza learned a lesson about her tolerance for horror movies and that's good Mm -hmm. it's good to let kids do things that might scare them and might harm them a little bit while they are still under your care rather than when they are out in the world and making dumb decisions. You're going to say when they're out in the woods. <laughs> well, the woods are in the world. Yeah. So, you know, at least she, she's watched it. She will never watch it again. And she knows now she doesn't like horror movies. These things do have an impact on you. I remember when I stayed over with my granddad when I was a wee boy mm-hmm. and we watched The Eyes of Laura Mars which has a woman getting stabbed in the eye. Uh-huh. And that just did me. And I still kind of get a bit squeamish when things with eyes are happening. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, who wants to see that? Yeah. I mean, my parents 
took me to see R-rated movies like um, Dancing with Wolves. That was R-rated? That was R-rated. And I didn't realize it until many, many years later. When somebody it's also was also four hours long, isn't it? Yeah. We're just walking through the mall and we're like, oh, let's go see a movie. All right, we'll watch this Kevin Costner one. Because everybody loved Kevin Costner back then, remember? Was this before Waterworld? Must have been. Yeah, yeah. Because we also saw, uh, you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And everybody loved it because yeah. of that Brian Adams song. And Dances with Wolves is PG-13. Is it? Mm-hmm. It used to be R, I think. I, I think because of the, the, the blood. It also says it was only three hours. I was sure it was four. Who knows? Oh, well. And and also we rented a boy and his dog, a dog and his boy, from from the movie from the movie place. Remember when movie places were a thing? I used movie to... places? What's the movie place? B- Blockbuster. Oh, only, the video store. Yeah, only ours was Video Galaxy. So what you said in Connecticut called video store was too common for you. You had to call it the movie place. Yes. <laughs> you know and. My parents didn't really check, and I was like, "Oh, there's a dog in this movie. I want to see this movie." Yeah, and the, my parents are like, "There's oh, a yeah. dog. There's a dog in Kujo. There's a dog in this movie. It'll well, yes, but that has Stephen King's name written very clearly on it, whereas this did not." And we got like 15 minutes in, and my mom's like, "Nope." That was me in Kentucky Fried Movie. <laughs> That's what happened to me. And it's because of boobies. Yeah, I just, I just really hate. I hate Stu's character now. Yeah, me too. I'm done with it. I've had enough. And it makes me so sad because he was so delightful when he started. He was a bit grumpy to start with as well, though. Right. But when he was with Kelly, he was much, much better. Yeah. Then he had that cough that should have killed him and didn't. Right. Yeah. And it's Mm. funny because you know the show was originally intending to kill him off with that cough. Had to be. And yet everybody loved Stu, so they had to keep him on. And then they, and then they an had asshole. to figure out another storyline for him. And that's when we found out that he had gone away for murder. <laughs> yeah, we didn't care Which about it, that because we didn't know who he murdered. We didn't care about his right. daughter and his ex-wife. No. We didn't care about Lennox, the potentially corrupt cop. Didn't care about that. No. Don't really care about Eliza. Oh, so man, did all that this... fall through, the corrupt cop part? <laughs> So all of this is just so low stakes and he's a corrupt cop. far too much time. But now he has Alzheimer's, so it doesn't matter. So we built this whole thing up. <laughs> we built this whole thing up. You know, poor... Poor Lennox boobs. Poor um, Alia sitting up all hours, listening to hours and hours of taped interviews. Oh, God, yes. And then it turned into nothing. Oh, well. Oh, well. Turning into nothing. Let's... Alia has had really, really sucky years the past two years, hasn't she? I feel particularly sorry for the um, for the scenes that she was in where it was obviously Yasmin that was supposed to be there. Right. And she was standing in for this boring shit. Oh, poor, poor Alia. Poor Alia. All right. Our final storyline is not only but also fans. Last week, racist Kelly is surprised when Ryan doesn't want to be her mate anymore. Daisy approaches her in Nina's roles and tells her in no uncertain terms that this cash cow is over and if Racist Kelly tries anything like this again, she'll be on the receiving end of a boot to the pie. So Daisy is shocked when later she finds Racist Kelly in her home getting English lessons from Daniel. Later, Ryan learns that Racist Kelly's 17 and not 20, as she'd said, and she'd lied to get the flat. Ryan admits to Debbie about his feelings for Daisy and she advises him to back off. 
during this, Daniel observes the death anniversary of Sinead and then suggests to Daisy that he sells his mum's house, which is now empty, and buys Tim's mum's flat instead. Fuck off, refugees! Daisy is less than enthusiastic and no one suggests just moving into Daniel's mum's house. Right, which is... On its own. Which is what they should do. Yeah. On Monday, at the precinct flat, racist Kelly is still trying to pretend that everything is cool between her and Ryan. He's working all the hours that he can get to recoup the money that he had to pay her, as in no mood for bants and insists they're not friends, and she takes a huff. The bistro Nick has got some... Ryan will not be there for her when the rain starts to fall. No. The bistro Nick has got some spooky mannequins, and he demonstrates by throwing a sheet over one of them to prove how scary it is. (laughs) Which we only get one little bit of Mary this week, and that's when she pretends to be a ghost. Well, no, because she's at the party. She's dressed as Queen Elizabeth. I guess. And it was hilarious because there's like a there's a there's a weird scene during the party with Mary, which is weird. But we get a Doctor Who reference this week. Oh yes, because Daisy, Daisy says rolls her eyes at it. Daisy says it's very Doctor Who with the Vatican's, and I appreciated that. Nick softly weeps. Ryan comes in and confirms his availability for a spooky playlist. Ryan chats with a distracted Daisy later. She's having a hard time dealing with him and racist Kelly and the Sinead death anniversary. Ryan decides to be a bit of a prick this week and suggests to her that, that she's staying with Daniel out of pity or guilt and says that she channels the hard version of herself and asks who she would rather be with. Yeah. Brian... Ryan. Ryan is a bit creepy this week. Yep. He's a bit... I don't want to say incelly. Because they've had sex, but not taking no for an answer and misunderstanding consent mm. and thinking that bullying a woman into a relationship with you is the way to go. Bullying a woman who has sexually assaulted you. Right. Ryan yes. is back Nobody home. Nobody remembers that though. Well, they did. Ryan is back home for some reason and notices racist Kelly's phone getting notifications from Ovid's. She comes out in a sexy leopard print crop top and snaps at him for being home early. He's more concerned that she's underage and doing porn. She reminds him that they're not mates, tells him that he doesn't give a shit about her. He tells her it's illegal, but she doesn't think anyone cares and was doing it because he made a packet out of it. He's shocked that she could have got the idea from him and threatens to report her to the site. She tells him if he does that, guess what? She's going to grass him up to Daniel. And she storms out. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but Ryan's right. Because the site can get into... Big, 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 big trouble yeah. for peddling child porn. Yes. Racist Kelly doesn't seem to understand that it's not that they care about... It's not that the site cares about her. The site cares about being in trouble with the authorities. Well, it should do. It should, but that's not why they and so, care and about And sometimes this. it doesn't. I mean, not, I think OnlyFans has had quite a bit of bother with us in the past. Ryan is running around Coronation Street looking for Lauren and bumps into Daisy. He explains to her that Racist Kelly is making mucky videos like he used to do, masturbating for gay men. He also tells her about Racist Kelly threatening to tell Daniel if Ryan grasses her up to Ovid's, but that's what he's done anyway. Daisy reckons this is win-win for Ryan. He gets to be the good guy and also split her and Daniel up. He says he's just doing the right thing. So Daisy gets home and is shocked to find Racist Kelly there getting an English assignment from Daniel, but not like that. They're reading Roddy Doyle. Racist Kelly announces that they've just got to a good bit where the kid is looking for signs for his dad's affair. Daisy quietly seethes. She thinks on her feet and says Roy is looking for her to pay her money that he owes her from the cafe, 200 quid. Racist Kelly says he owes her 500. 
Daniel suddenly remembers that he has to go trick-or-treating with Bertie, so fucks off in the middle of the tutoring session and leaves Daisy and Reese's Kelly alone. This was the weirdest scene. It was. I'm teaching you a lesson. Oh, I've remembered that I've got to go with Bertie, who's dressed up as a vampire. See you later. Mm-hmm. Was he just going to leave Reese's Kelly alone in his flat if Daisy wasn't there? Just the strangest scene. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Bertie does make a very cute vampire, though. He does, and he runs about later, and Sam thinks he's full of sugar. Yes. Daisy says... Which ca- is a myth. What, that's the problem that you got with it? Well, no, the, the no. vampires? No, I'm just pointing out that it's a myth that, that sugar makes your kids high. Or not high. Well, yeah. It, gives, it does give you energy. That's what it's designed to do. Right. So but having like too much the... of it can give you too much energy. Right. So you feel that you need to run about. But that's, that's, that's a myth. I think that's a myth. Mm. Daisy says that they can't afford to pay her anything else and Ryan was doing the right thing and that was a mistake for them to sleep together. She knows Rachel Skelly has made mistakes and knows what it's like. She doesn't want to break up with Daniel, but enough is enough. Tell him or don't tell him. She doesn't care anymore. Rachel Skelly sighs and says that she won't tell Daniel. She never wanted involved in this in the first place. And she hopes someone does tell him anyway. At the beast later, Daisy is late and now dressed like Catwoman. Ryan is a horny devil and he's also in a Halloween costume. <laughs> Ryan wants to talk, but Daisy quickly tells him that uh, Racist Skelly won't say anything and then rushes off to see Daniel and Bertie. Ryan keeps at Daisy to get a minute and she snaps back at him, which is seen by Daniel, who moses over and asks if everything's okay. She says it is, so he and Bertie leave, and all of that is seen by saucy devil Ryan. Then later, racist Kelly comes in, and at some point, Ryan has been updated by Daisy. Racist Kelly again seems super keen to be friendly, but Ryan now says he's going to move out after all, which gets her back up in the huff again, and all of this is seen by Daisy. Ryan pesters Daisy again, and she reluctantly suggests that they meet in the office later, and all that is seen by Debbie. And every single bit of this is seen by us. Right. Did you notice? It's a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. Everyone's in a costume. Mm-hmm. Except for Daniel. <laughs> He's dressed like a fanny. <laughs> Is he sexy oh, English teacher zombie? Daniel, you've come as a fanny again. I was just really disappointed that for all of the talk about Gary's gold lame costume, <laughs> he comes as Frankenstein instead. That was quite funny. And I thought him and Maria were quite cute together. They were. They were. More of that, please. Mm-hmm. We really like them as a couple. Why Why can't we get more of the people we like? So later in the office, Ryan and Daisy finally get some time alone and he turns on the prickness again, reckoning that she wants to be with him more than Daniel. He kisses her and she pushes him away. He suggests going away tomorrow night and says that he'll book a hotel room. And she agrees. He kisses her again and this time she kisses him back. When she leaves the office, Bad Penny Daniel has turned up again looking for a drink with Daisy and he sees over her shoulder a flustered Ryan leave the office too and now Daniel is finally very suspicious. Yes. On Wednesday at home, Daisy announces that she's staying at her mum's tonight. Daniel is suspicious and shows a picture that either he or Bertie drew of her being part of the family and this does nothing really to guilt Daisy into a change of heart. Uh, It does a little bit. Not that you notice. No, but he's very concerned (laughs) about her going to see her Mm mum because... I don't know why. Because he's a controlling shitbag. Well, yes, there's that. Daniel goes to Nina's Rolls with some homework for Racist Kelly. She's ready to pack the whole thing in, but Daniel talks around because she's apparently got good banter. Well, compared to Daniel. 
Max employs reverse psychology to bet at what result she's going to get in the exam. That was that was cute. I liked that scene. Debbie goes to see Ryan, who's still at Racist Kelly's for some reason. She has a job for him to DJ a Sweet 16 party. She sees his bags, so he announces that he has a hotel date with Daisy in town. Debbie's disappointed, but Ryan insists that she's taken a risk for him and he deserves to be happy. So Debbie comes round and offers him a suite at the Rape Hotel instead. But she still disapproves. Yes, yeah. go to a hotel that's closer to Coronation Street. That's a yeah, great idea. That's a great idea. Meanwhile, Jenny goes round to visit Daisy as she's about to leave. And so Daisy confesses her plans to Jenny. Right, because Daniel has grasped Daisy up about going to stay with her mom. And uh, Jenny is in a very big huff about it. Right. Daisy says that she's drowning and she doesn't know what to do. Ryan is all she can think about. A sprightly Ryan skips the streetcars to hail a cab. The rape hotel, good gentleman, he instructs, and don't spare the horses. As he jumps into the cab, Daniel sees and overhears this, and is up to his tits with suspicions now. Daisy reveals to Jenny how much she thinks how beautiful a person Ryan is, and Jenny reminds him what she's thrown away with Daniel and Bertie. Daisy says that she loves them both, and she's terrified Daniel will find out. That will definitely happen, says Jenny. Right. Do you know what street you live on? Right. Back home, Daniel finds Daisy's charger, tries to call her, but goes straight to voicemail, and this gives him a reasonable excuse to call Christina, Daisy's mum. He asks to speak with Daisy, but according to Christina, Daisy's not there. And Christina seems to be savvy enough to play along, though, and seems to say that she's not there yet. But this doesn't stop Daniel's suspicions breaching his tits. Correct. At the Rape Hotel, Daisy wants to get out of sight as quickly as possible, and Ryan maintains his new asshole persona by loudly saying that Daisy's keen. Yeah, that was such a shit. She's she's she wants to get out because she doesn't want people to recognize her. Right. And he's Yeah. That really upset me. <laughs> yeah. In the room Ryan is keen to start smooching, but Daisy doesn't feel right. He says they're like two magnets that keep getting attracted to each other. And I guess he must mean different poles of two magnets because the same poles famously repel. Mm-hmm. She seems to have made up her mind though It's not right she says And she says that she loves Daniel And she doesn't want to be that person Ryan tries to spin this but it's no good Meanwhile Daniel's turned up at the bar of the rape hotel And the show tries to show his increasing paranoia I guess By having the sound muted And various shots of him spinning round It's awful Stop doing that Yes He heads off to the rooms And starts randomly knocking on doors and Which he's is about, hilarious He's about to hit the fire alarm When a custodian starts questioning him Ryan and Daisy overhear this She wonders how he knows Ryan admits that he told Debbie Which pisses Daisy off Even though she told Jenny The custodian threatens Daniel with the cops Meanwhile And he leaves the corridor Ryan checks and sees him gone They're safer now But Daisy knows that Daniel doesn't trust her Can you blame him? Says Ryan Ryan starts packing And suggests that They get their stories straight And thinks it'll be a matter of time Before she runs back to him She says she deserves better And apologises for stringing him along they agree that he leaves and she might as well enjoy the facilities on her own cheeky cow ryan files into the bistro later and sits with debbie where he is seen by jenny but before ryan can tell debbie anything daniel is over in a flash demanding to know where he's been and who he's been with the two of them bicker ryan tells daniel to spit it out if he has an accusation daniel thinks he should just do the decent thing and admit it Debbie has had enough of this willy swinging contest and says that Ryan was doing handyman work for her at the hotel. Daniel apologises for his paranoia. We've all been there, says Ryan. A little too on the nose. Mm. And Daniel slinks out. And Daniel calls Daisy and she answers him this time. 
Daniel quickly twigs that she's in the hotel and she admits to falling out with Christina. Right, because room service knocks on the door. Housekeeping! <laughs> Housekeeping! And so she got a hotel for the night. He wonders how she could afford it. She explains that she put it on her credit card. She tells him that she loves him and then hangs up. On Friday, in the precinct, Daisy meets with her mum. Christina's back. Daisy apologises for yesterday. Her mum wants an explanation. I, I was. She's like she's <sighs> she's she's like the British Kathleen Turner, isn't she? I just like I don't like Christina at all, but I like the dysfunctional relationship she has with Daisy. With Daisy, That's, yeah. It's it's unusual, mm-hmm. and I kind of like that. And number one, <clears throat> Daniel can't get over the coincidence of Daisy being at a hotel and Ryan being at a hotel. Wow. He can't ignore the tension between them when they're together. Ken warns Daniel to tread carefully, but tells him to speak with Daisy. Meanwhile, Ryan is finally packing up his room at Racist Kelly's. She doesn't want him to leave like this and apologises for messing up and blackmailing him and all that sort of fun stuff. Are we ever going to find out why she needed the money? It Uh, kind of feels like we're never going to find out why she needed the money. Nobody's asking anymore. No. She tells him that he's one of the few people that she cares about and who care about her. He says he still does care and agrees to be mates again. I never once thought that they were mates. They were flatmates. I never thought they were mates. Well, remember like that one cute scene where they're watching TV together and sharing a bowl of popcorn? That one time? Yeah, that one time. And then she fucks that up by trying to blackmail him like the very next day. Friends. Friends. Let's remember how dysfunctional this character is. I suppose. But Ryan's going along with it. She's never really had any normal social socialization in her life and she still hasn't had a redemption arc and she still hasn't apologized to Alia. it's true post explanation christina thinks that apple hasn't fallen far from the tree and reckons that she's just like her dad daisy doesn't think it's anything like that it wasn't something that she did because she was bored her mama asks if she loves ryan daisy doesn't want to talk about it with her but needs a favor and asks christina to cover for her if daniel calls her christina th- seems to think about it and later, Daniel does indeed phone Christina and asks about the argument that they had last night. Christina covers, says it wasn't worth Daisy walking out about and wasn't worth her walking out on the meal. And this appears to satisfy Daniel, who must know everything that Daisy does at all times. But when they hang up, he's far from happy. Something about that meal that Christina mentioned. Right. Daisy gets home and has just sat down when fucking Daniel appears from nowhere. He asks her how her night was at the hotel and then asks which one it was. She tells him the grand and asks what all this fucking questions are about. He asks if she was with Ryan and she pretends to be shocked. He does. He asks what street her hotel was on and asks for proof that she was there like a receipt. So Daisy punches herself in the face with a brick. She is fucking furious about this. Right. I'm doing a, despite lying. Right. I still think she has a right to be furious about this. Because right. Because it's just like, how many times, how many times does Daniel have to be proven wrong before he lets this go? Right. Uh, he, and it, she, she wonders if he's going to check up with her teachers as well. She produces a receipt and then storms off. And he looks at it once, apologizes. And when she runs off crying, he looks at it again. He has a closer look at it to see, to make sure that it's right. authentic. He's so controlling and horrible. He's so horrible. Why does she want to stay with him? This is a worst love triangle. Right, because both of the men are horrible. And she's a liar. 
and has sexually assaulted one of them. Right. The worst love triangle. Right. Not all triangles are love triangles if you love triangles. No. All triangles are love triangles if you love triangles. So, back at Racist Kelly's, he decides to fill her in on what she missed at the rape hotel. And I'm like, why are you telling her this? No. Yeah. Why? Why? It makes no sense. Why would you tell remember somebody? When you, remember when she was blackmailing you? Remember the blackmail thing that happened? Remember that? It was because of information like this. Right. That allowed her to blackmail you. Right. <sighs> she thinks if he had accidentally deliberately revealed himself, he could have got the girl in the end. She thinks Daisy doesn't deserve either of them and racist Kelly's bang on the money there. Right, but they also, neither one of them <laughs> deserve her. No. Daisy and Jenny meet up in Nina's roles. Turns out she suspected she'd have to prove herself to Daniel, so snuck off to the Grand Hotel last night after all. She says Daniel and Bertie are her focus from now on. And the whole thing with the meal was she'd said that she was going out for a drink. Right. Yeah. Oof. Daisy had said they'd gone out for a drink, whereas, you know, her mom said a meal. And so he gives her the third degree about that. You said drinks, but your mom said a meal. Right. And she's like, we got nachos. If my mom thinks that's a meal, fine. Right. Which, remember, is a lie. But still, just that doesn't mean that Daniel's not being unreasonable here. Correct. Huh. So Daniel grabs Ryan in the street and is furious that Ryan isn't furious about this. There's no please in this no prick there really isn't like why aren't you mad that i'm accusing you of these things and why can't you look me in the eye daisy looks me in the eye why don't you look me in the eye so ryan finally admits that he told daisy that he loves her daniel says well how do you expect me to react like that i don't give a fuck what you do says ryan daniel scowls like he's a hard man and tells ryan to stay away so Daniel goes home and tells Daisy that he knows, and there's a bit of potential confusion here, but it's right. quickly dispelled. He knows that Ryan told her that he loved her. Daisy said that she was just letting Ryan get out of his chest and didn't tell Daniel because she didn't want to upset him. Daniel explains all the lengths that he went to in a jealous rage. Daisy wants to know if Daniel hit Ryan. He says he didn't, and seems annoyed that she asked or cared. Daisy goes to see Ryan, who is still at Racist Kelly's, she thanks him for throwing himself under the bus, but reminds him that this needs to end, and she apologises and says goodbye. He reminds her that she's the one in his flat. Right. They hug, and she leaves, and all of this is seen by Racist Kelly. Later, Racist Kelly is at Daniel's getting another tutoring session, this time on The Great Gatsby. Yes, they've her- moved on quite quickly from Roddy Doyle, haven't they? <laughs> yes. Her mind is elsewhere, which she notices, and she blames the book, saying everyone's awful in it because they're all cheating on each other. Racist Kelly apparently doesn't approve of cheating. And there's this mm. weird few moments where it's unclear if they're talking about The Great Gatsby or if they're talking about Coronation Street. Right, because both have a Daisy in it. <laughs> right, and then there's that weird moment where Racist Kelly says Daisy's name and Daniel shits himself and just wanders off again, leaving Racist Kelly in the house. Right. Daisy and Jenny are in the bistro when she gets a message from Daniel. He wants to meet at Red Bank, so Daisy fucks off to get there because her master has beckoned her. Mm. So at Tim's mum's, Daniel announces that he's putting an offer on the flat like they talked about and put his mum's house on the market like they talked about. But not only had they talked about it, she'd asked him to delay it. Right. She thinks this is about Ryan. He says it's not and says this is new beginnings. And that's how we end this week's episodes. And, you know, and <sighs> as, as we pan up, we notice that Daniel has his arms around Daisy. Daisy's arms are down at her sides. Hmm. So this was his uh, big gesture, I think. Right. 
to say, I'm sorry I accused you and was so jealous, but also I'm going to ensure you can never escape from me again. Right. And I'm going to do the thing that we talked about and you expressly asked me not to. Yeah, not to do. Congratulations. Right. Happy anniversary. Yeah. And it's like, she's like, you know, I don't have a job really right now, right? Which was her her excuse last week. And he's like, no, it's fine. I will pay for everything because I'm the man. And because I've sold my mum's house. Right. Which he probably hasn't done quite yet. So Right. He's put it on the market, I guess. But it's so weird because it's like, you got your mum's house free and clear. Mm-hmm. Why not just live in it? Especially now that you probably want to get out of Dodge because to get away from Ryan. Right. This makes even more sense. Makes it a tougher sell for mm-hmm. Daisy, certainly. But she's not really in a position where she can uh, disagree with us now. No. Because, but it's, is there anything about the way that Daniel's behaved during this that even if you are a liar and a cheater, you're going to think this is the man that I'm putting all my effort and energy into. This is a relationship with this controlling maniac right who was running around a hotel corridor in the middle of the night and waking almost, people up and almost pulled the alarm on this is not normal behavior it's not at there's all there's one thing to be jealous and there's one thing to go and punch ryan right but this this behavior that's underneath all this where he's trying to prove that she's up to no good yeah and then can't do it Right. And then starts to make these ridiculous demands of her, like, right. what streets are on? Where's it near? Right. Give me the receipt. How many red flags does this guy need to be waving here? Right. She needs to get the fuck away from this one. It's, and she needs to get the fuck away from the other one as well. Right. Yeah. Because he's essentially bullying her into picking him, which is not the way that you go about it. Right. You know, accusing her of. You know, thinking that you know everything about her relationship with the other man to the point where you're like, oh, you're only with him because he's sad. Yeah. Or you're doing I'm better guilt. for you. It's like, no, you're not. And it just makes me so mad because, again, Alia's sitting right there <laughs> and she and Ryan made the best couple. They were lovely together. And they were so lovely together. And Alia is 100% trustworthy and good and kind and nice and not seeing anybody. (laughs) Free and clear. It's the lack of self-awareness when Ryan says that you're only staying with Daniel out of guilt. Right. Well, why do you think she'd be with you? Right. Yeah, exactly. A different kind of guilt? Yeah. Still guilt. Right. And then, yeah, this kind of uh, face to heel of of Ryan in the last couple of weeks, where he's just been. This is not this is not Ryan behavior that we know, right? And has not been Ryan. Like, I, I don't remember seeing Ryan like this. Maybe back when he was getting involved with the drugs with Ronan and and stuff when he was more kind of selfish, right? But and showing up at his mum's house drunk. Remember that? <laughs> oh, yes. Just that it's the most bizarre love tri- triangle where you don't... You're not rooting for anybody. There's no combination that works here. No. Uh, maybe Ryan and Daniel. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. 
out, that, out of all of them, that's yeah. probably the one that... Yeah, because it doesn't really feel... I don't find any of this romantic at all. No, of course it isn't. And I don't find... You know, because it feels like the show wants us to find it romantic and wants us to find that whole magnet line romantic when it's just fucking creepy. <laughs> and as right. you pointed out, not how magnets work. No. Somebody said on uh, on Twitter, what he must have meant to say was, I'm a magnet and you're a paperclip. Right. And well, yeah, that works. That's much better. Yeah. Still a terrible sentiment but right yeah but there you go like you have no choice you must be with me it's 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 physics it impresses me how how wonderful debbie is at lion she's so good <laughs> debbie's contributions i see quite a lot of people complaining mm-hmm. about debbie just she's so boring and what's she bringing in i'm like are, are we watching the same show i think boring Debbie is awesome. Debbie is fantastic. And I love the fact that she's getting this chance to be like the stand-in mother for Ryan because Michelle is never coming back and Carla's fucked off to Spain. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so she gets to be, she gets to be the mum here a little bit. And I love that. I love that relationship she has with Ryan that is forged in them attempting to rob (laughs) the bistro. Yes. That's all. That's the only foundation this relationship has. But I love it. Yeah, that's and you know, and both she and Jenny are both so reasonable when when they're talking to their, you know, yeah, they're half that they're they're, they're, they're yeah. half, you know, because Jenny's like, you know, Jenny's not berating Daisy. She's not yelling at her. She's not calling her stupid or fanny or anything. You know, she just points out the fact that Bertie is a thing. Yeah. Not never... that that's not that not that a child is a reason to stay in a relationship. Oh good God, no! But we never see Daisy and Bertie interacting anymore. Well, we did. We we saw her like rush up to him twice. Did we? Yeah, she rushed up. That. She rushed up to him in the house when he first walked out like a vampire, and then the second time in the bistro when he walked in. As a vampire with his boring dad who can't be bothered to put on a costume. <laughs> he does have a To go to a yeah. Halloween party. Like, you'd think that you'd think that the show would do something like very self-aware, like dress him up like Thoreau or Whitman or something. Dress him up as somebody and nobody knows who he's dressed up as. Right, yeah. And then when you find out who it is, you're like, Oh yeah, uh, of course. Or I don't know who that is. Everybody knows who Henry David Thoreau is, don't they? Well, doesn't have to be that, though, does it? No, I did like the I did like the Halloween party, though. It was nice, I, once again, to see a whole bunch of characters in a room together. Yeah, the bistro seems to work quite well for that. There's yeah. more space, I guess. Yeah, and I'm wondering if the whole reason for closing the the rovers down is to revamp it inside so it's more like that. Hmm. So there's more open space for people to right, which to would congregate. make which would make filming easier. Yeah, because the because the old rovers in like classic Corey, you can tell that there are spaces that you don't see that the camera sits in. Hmm. You know, to be able to film all of those people in the rovers. You know, and I liked I liked I loved Mary putting on that sheet to scare Ryan and Ryan knowing immediately that it was mary 
And then at the party where uh, I think it was Gary who said, you know, oh, go go hang out with the other ladies. And she says, I think I will. And then she goes in and Debbie is making a body joke about a penis or something. And Mary says, no, maybe not, which is ridiculous, because if anybody has a very body sense of humor and is quite frank about wanting to have sex with celebrities. Ben Shepard, watch out. It's Mary. That is indeed. As long as it's Ben Shepard and not Ben Shapiro. <laughs> well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Stephen Tim Fishing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Just, despite the Tracy aspects The weird of Tracy it, stuff. Yeah, it, it I thought was that just, was lovely. It was nice to see the two of them together just hanging out. And, and bonding. Kind of reminiscent of the show that they referenced, the Gone Fishing show with right. Paul Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer, just having the two of them sitting about fishing and, and shooting the shit is right. just delightfully relaxing. Yeah, because, you know, remember back in the day where just randomly we'd go to Tim and Steve and they've got packing tape wrapped around themselves acting like dinosaurs? Oh, how could we forget? I miss those days. It's an unusual week where you don't mention that. It's but yeah. Tim and Steve Fishing, that is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Daniel walking into a <laughs> Halloween party without a costume on. It's got to be. You know, all those moments as well where they're just, people are staring at each other. It's like the meerkat just popping right. up and just staring. And I appreciate this doesn't come across all that well on the podcast but imagine meerkats you get the idea yes yeah daniel daniel's fanny costume for <laughs> for the halloween party that is our boring moment of the week so what is your score out of 10 this week helen mm, four really as bad as that yeah because it's just far too much of the stupid the, the only part i liked was was the tim and steve storyline Including the maggots. Yeah, I was looking at the Friday storylines and thinking, which one of these do I really, really like and enjoy? And I don't mind parts of the uh, the love triangle storyline. It's it's not the best, but no. I, I'm I'm enjoying being able to be angry at Daniel and not feel like I'm picking on him. Right. But but the, I mean, this is the thing: the few good pit pits, the few good bits in that storyline, like the them juxtaposing Ryan talking to Debbie with Jenny talking to Daisy about this whole thing. It's just kind of ruined by how absolutely terrible the people who are actually in the love triangle yeah, are acting. I agree. I think I'm going to give it a six this week. It was, it was fine. It just wasn't, it wasn't great, but honest to God, get that stew stuff and, yeah, I just, it makes me sad. Oof. The stew thing makes me sad. Yeah. This week's episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, Yay! French Helen, Yay! Pickles, Yay! DT, Yay! Trisha, Yay! Wendy, Yay! and Noel. Woohoo! Whew. If you've <laughs> ever been a horny devil, write in to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com. No oh, and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by hitting the ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky-clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. 
Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.